0: You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by bbbgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBGive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards based charity evaluator and it's your one stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. We hear a lot these days about diversity, equity, inclusion, and access. Some refer to the acronyms in a different form. They say I-D-E-A, but we're essentially speaking about the opportunities that people have to succeed in our society. Diversity obviously refers to making sure that our activities and enterprises represent a diverse group of people from all backgrounds. Equity, E, focuses on whether people are treated fairly once they are there or even are they given the opportunity to participate in various activities, enterprises. Inclusion, I, talks more about whether a person who's in the room is actually given an opportunity to be heard. That is, are we taking advantages of the talents and people that we have in our organizations that come from these diverse and sometimes unrepresented backgrounds? And access refers to whether our institutions are even accessible and set up in such a way that people Of certain backgrounds can actually thrive in those communities. In all cases, again, we're referring to giving people the true opportunity to live out their abilities and talents and to make a contribution to our organizations. And our organizations generally can, and it's been proven, produce more when people of these diverse backgrounds are given the opportunities to participate and succeed in the highest form. So I wanted to talk about this today, particularly in the nonprofit context, because I believe that in nonprofit organizations, we have an opportunity to demonstrate to America how this is done and how we can get over some of the more difficult challenges associated with implementing and executing on DEIA programs. So I want to start with this idea that every organization probably has four or five different personalities or personas existing inside of their organization. The first person is a person who Believes that there is a problem with discrimination and that if an organization doesn't have diversity, equity, inclusion, and access, that it's not a problem. They believe it's a good thing that some groups have an advantage over others and that in our society, it's not a problem to have these inequities. It's not a problem. The second group represents people who don't see that there may be discrimination of any type in an organization. They simply believe that everything is fine. And uh, while they don't consider themselves to support discrimination in any form, they nonetheless see it, they don't see it. They don't see it, that it's a problem. They don't see that it exists. And then there's a person who does see that it exists, but they believe that it is not structural or systemic and that when issues come up, these are individual isolated cases and they can be dealt with in a one-on-one sort of fashion. And then there are people who see that discrimination does exist, but the structural and systemic aspects of discrimination really can't be addressed in our society. It's too complex. That's the fourth type of person. And the fifth person is someone who sees that discrimination does exist and that It is structural, that it is systemic, and that something can be done about it and should be done about it today. In every organization, well, maybe not every organization, but in many organizations, these five personas are likely to exist because I think this is a reflection of our society. So no surprise there. No surprise there. The question is how does an organization deal with these five personas and perhaps some other personas that I'm not mentioning, right? There are probably gradations of this that my generalization is overlooking and I fully accept that. But how does an organization function, particularly if it's interested in implementing DEIA programs? in its organization? How does it function? What does it do to, in a sense, make sure that every person is moving in a direction to assure that there is no bias and that people have the opportunities to succeed? Well, we can go back in time to some extent and look at some of the opportunities that have existed to move our society forward from a racial standpoint. And we can see that we've had a pendulum that has swung back and forth. And I don't have to go back too far, but we could go back quite far, but let's just go back to the 1960s and 70s, when we had the civil rights movement that produced many gains, including the Voting Rights Act, which gave everyone fair access to the polls. We had the Civil Rights Act that sought to end discrimination in government and other places of employment and produce all sorts of other civil rights gains through that civil rights act. And later on, we even saw tools like affirmative action that gave people of color, particularly opportunities to access the workplace in ways that we never saw before. It gave certain preferences to people who had been historically discriminated against, so that they could essentially achieve opportunities in workplaces, government entities, colleges and universities and others. And we saw that as these programs began to take hold and bring in more people of color, that at the same time, there were people working behind the scenes, it seemed, and then later on in front of the scenes, to try to eliminate those programs. And affirmative action is certainly one that we can remember and highlight. It wasn't long after affirmative action was put into place that we began to see challenges to it. Many of these started in colleges and universities where people felt that they were being denied application to colleges and universities because certain people were given preference through affirmative action. And over time, over time, as these cases began to filter through the courts, people did begin questioning the utility of affirmative action and whether it was in fact discriminating against the majority population. I don't believe that, but nonetheless, that's how it was interpreted. And today, Affirmative action is all but dead in our society. It was a tool that was used to get millions of people access to institutions that they would not have received access to. But today, this tool is virtually gone. We don't even talk about affirmative action anymore. And so today we have hit a new reckoning, the racial reckoning that we see today after George Floyd after George Floyd's murder, I should say, has sort of made America pause again and take a look at what we want to be as a society. And we're now not only talking about creating diverse workplaces, which is what we were trying to achieve in the 70s and 60s, that's give people an opportunity to be in the room, We also wanna make sure that when they're in the room, they are included and people who didn't have access before have access and that we're treated equally. We're treated the same once we get in the room. These weren't considerations before, and I'll give you my own personal experience. When I graduated college as an African-American man, I had an opportunity to go to work for a public accounting firm. One of the most uh, sought after jobs for accountants at the time was to work in one of the big eight accounting firms. And I got an opportunity to work in the Philadelphia office of one of these big eight accounting firms. And out of one hundred and ninety professionals in this firm, in this office, I was the only African-American. And so I got in the room, there was little diversity, but I became, I guess, their diversity. They could no longer say there were no blacks in this office. I was one black. And yet I will tell you that I was not treated equally, nor was I included in what was going on. Let me explain. So when we joined this office, um, there were about 20 of us that started at the same time in this place, 20 of us. And we all were given some training and some orientation to working there and how the firm operated. And after that period, we were asked to go out and work on different assignments on different audit clients that is everyone except me all of my colleagues were assigned to work on different audits different clients but it took weeks almost months before i was assigned to go to work on a particular client now i don't know if that was pure oversight i don't know if their clients said that they didn't want or they had a sense that their clients would not want an African-American working on their job. Or I don't know if they had a sense that I wouldn't be a good accountant and that I would be a liability if I was on one of those teams. I don't know what the sense was. I do know that while my colleagues were out there working on audits and learning how this is done. I was sitting in the office reading training materials and trying to do what I could to learn how to be an accountant. So diversity was there, but certainly not inclusion and not, not equity. Okay. After time I did get an opportunity to work on a client, but as you might suppose our business was a competitive one and people wanted to get skills and rise to the top. Well, I was already several months behind my other colleagues who had had much more experience working on these jobs than, than I had. And I was immediately in a catch up situation. So by not having that immediate inclusion and not given access to some of the experiences in the same way, in an equitable way, I was not given an opportunity to rise in that firm and to produce in the same way that my colleagues who started at the same time as me were given. So there wasn't a concern about that. There was only a concern. Let's get one in the organization. So today we're more concerned about that, though, right? Today, we're concerned that we not only have diversity, but we want to make sure that people have opportunities and that they're given the same chance to succeed. All right. Well, if we have these five different types of individuals in these firms, this is not easy to to produce because there are always going to be people who will fight to assure that things don't happen in the way that a business wants them to. And I believe that In order to avoid this pendulum swinging back that will be produced by these people who don't want to see this change occur. We have to make sure that we are bridging in some ways. These communities, we have to make sure that we find ways to. Change our culture by including people in conversations and bringing out what it is that they're concerned about. So that. When we make these changes, they can actually stick because we don't want to see our society fall back from gains that we've made simply because people don't understand or don't appreciate or don't want to know why these changes are significant and important and valuable to our organizations. We have to learn to bridge communities. Bridging means that we have to talk to each other. We have to have tough conversations. We have to get those people who don't see that discrimination exists to talk about how it does exist. And we have to have people who vehemently believe that discrimination does exist be willing to hear from them. And this is tough work, and I would even submit that it's work that not many of us are qualified really to do we have to find ways to do that there are organizations out there i want to plug one called convergence policy that has ways of creating conversations among people it starts out by just having conversations not about any issues of of significance right away but getting to know each other and finding out where we're human and And then after there's some trust built, maybe over some months, then beginning to have conversations about areas that are controversial or difficult for people to understand because of either their lived experience or how they see the world. So bridging is really important. And I believe that non-profit organizations above all organizations have this potential to be bridgers they have the potential to be bridgers because in non-profit organizations we all come together in these organizations because we believe that a particular problem in our society exists and that together We can maybe solve that problem. We can make life a little easier on people who are struggling. We can take a cause and move it forward so that our society is better than it was when we started on that particular problem. We can produce movement together in nonprofit organizations. So we we start out with people who fundamentally believe that a cause can be addressed and they're willing to work together. They're willing essentially to put the cause even above their own needs in many cases. And if we have people with that type of empathy working in nonprofit organizations, then wouldn't it be, at least it seems to me, that it might be a bit easier to get them to engage in these kinds of conversations where they can learn and understand and ultimately overcome these challenges that keep some people from achieving the most that they can in an organization. And if we can do it in nonprofit organizations and we can show the rest of the world how it's done, and if we can show the rest of the world how it's done, then aren't we all better off for it? Now, there's there's one other piece of this, of course. It is when we begin to have these conversations, a lot of people want to know, well, what do we do? I've come across a couple of organizations that have come to me and said, you know, we want to have greater diversity, equity, inclusion, and access in our organizations, but we don't know what to do. We don't know how to begin these things. So my, Thought was this. If we really want to eliminate bias. If we really want to create more diverse situations and give people more access and, and etc., We have to look at every system, cultural moray and process that we have in our organization. And ask the question. Is how we do this holding anyone back? is how we do this holding anyone back. That could be everything from how we hire people to how we reward people, to how we promote people, to how we give out assignments to people, to how we talk to each other, even in the workplace, to how we organize our meetings, to how we think about offsite activities. Everything we do in an organization on a regular basis has to be pulled out. And we have to examine the extent to which it could be potentially holding some people back. Now, I know that when you listen to me say that there are going to be people who say, but wait a minute, we got a workplace to run here. And. Maybe there will be systems. That hold some people back, but at the same time, they're allowing us to move forward organizationally. They're allowing us to move forward organizationally. Well, we have to look at whether there's something about those systems that can be changed so that no one is denied access or opportunity to work well within those systems. We should be able to find ways to produce and assure that everyone has equal opportunity. That's what we want to achieve in our organizations. I think we have to look at these systems and ask, how do we do both? How do we make sure everyone has access and we produce? This is not going to be easy. And I'll give you an example, because they're going to be choices that organizations have to make. Right. So what if we have that first person I talked about, the first person being the individual who doesn't believe that there should be any changes? They know that there is discrimination in the world, but they don't believe that any organization needs to do anything about it. They like the fact that they have certain advantages. And let's assume that this person is a top performer in the organization, meaning that they are producing more than maybe the average person is producing. And by not having them in the organization, there could be some disruption of productivity. So that there may be some reluctance to be overly concerned about this person's lack of commitment to any DEIA programs that the organization institutes. This produces a dilemma for an organization. We want to keep that person, but we also want to make sure that they buy into our programs to make sure that all are treated fairly inside of our organization and we're bringing in diverse people. So it produces a dilemma. What does an organization do with that individual? We can't just let them go because if we let them go, then maybe we don't produce as much. It's a tough problem. There won't be easy answers. We can't fire everyone. But we do have to stand for, I believe, the fact that if all people aren't given opportunities and if the culture of the organization continues to give individuals who don't see the importance of this right of way, then it's going to undermine what we do. And we have to evaluate the extent to which that type of behavior or those individuals will undermine what we actually have to do. We have to find ways to bring them in. This is, again, why I think bridging is so important. So I wanted to just come on today and talk about this again because I think that nonprofits have the ability, in my opinion, to show us the way. This is enormously difficult work. I appreciate that. But it can also be very rewarding work when we achieve it. And I'll also say that we shouldn't be frustrated by our inability to get to a place where everyone believes that we've achieved something. Let's not be frustrated by it. This work has to be ongoing, ongoing. I don't know if we ever get to a place where we actually agree that we are a diverse, equitable, inclusive, and a place that has access for everyone. I don't know if we ever achieve that place where all agree that we're at the right place, but we have to keep working at it. And so we shouldn't be frustrated when it seems that all people aren't happy with what we've produced. We just got to keep working at it. We can make progress and we should, we should tout that progress, but there may not be a time when we're all feeling that we're at the right place. And why is that? Well, because what I see as inclusiveness may be very different than what someone else sees as inclusiveness. What I see as access may be different than what someone else sees as access. My expectations for this work may be very different than someone else's expectations for this work. And if we have a workplace made up of people of very diverse backgrounds, and there are lots of them, it may be difficult to get everyone to agree That we've achieved what we want to achieve, what we should be achieving. So we shouldn't be frustrated that there are going to be some who don't feel that we're where we need to be. But we keep working at it. We keep working at it. So that's my take. I've been asked to speak to several different groups now about this, and I just thought I would offer my opinion about this. I am not, by the way, an expert on this topic. It's not something that I've studied deeply. I have my own lived experiences and I've observed organizations in many different ways. And maybe what I'm offering here can be helpful to some people who are thinking about this. Some people have said it has been, which has inspired me to to talk to you on this podcast about it. But if it's not, I appreciate that. And I'm sure that there'll some who will say, Taylor, you're, you're way off on this. I fully accept that and would love to hear from anybody who who wants to give me a greater understanding of what I should be talking about and what we should be doing as a society. But I do know that bridging is going to be key to avoid us sliding back. I, I fundamentally believe that we have to have conversations with all elements of our society. And I also believe that it takes an organization that has the courage to look at all of its systems and processes to make sure that they are free of bias and discrimination so that people can succeed. Now, one last point, one last point. One thing that could be very different than in those old days in the '70s and, and prior times. Is that the pendulum was able to swing back because in our society, the majority population, the incumbent population, was still so large that it had the ability to, if it changed, stop these programs, to halt them, to end affirmative action. Politically, it could do that. And culturally, it could do that because there were more of them who saw that, who saw it that way. We still thought that these programs needed to end. But in our society today, we're growing increasingly diverse. We're growing increasingly diverse. And in some years into the future, we can foresee a country in which... The numbers of people of diverse background actually outnumber the people of our incumbent or majority background. And when that occurs, there won't be this ability for the pendulum to swing. At least as wildly backwards and forwards as it has in the past. And maybe, maybe. That's something that we need to be concerned about, too, in some ways, because it means that there will be those out there who will be fighting. As hard as they've ever fought to keep things from changing in a positive way. They'll feel loss. They'll feel loss. So one of the things we have to do when we have these conversations that I'm talking about. Is understand that people who don't want to see change are feeling a sense of loss. And we have to help them understand that by giving everyone an opportunity, we don't necessarily have to have others lose. That our society becomes greater and we produce more abundance and greater opportunity for everyone when all have the ability to participate and succeed. Let's work together to help these folk appreciate that they're not going away. There's still going to be opportunities for them. Maybe they won't have preference as they had in the past, but they'll have opportunity to succeed to the extent that their abilities allow them to. So that's what I wanted to talk today about. That's what I wanted to talk today about. Now, I hope to hear from some people about this. You can hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me uh, atalor at gib.org if you want to send me an email about what you're thinking. I'm on all social media. I'd love to hear from people who either agree, disagree, or want to add nuance to what I said would love to engage in a conversation about this and I will fully accept any culpability when I've said something that may be off base and I will stand for things that I believe uh, that are simply true, simply true or simply reflect my observation and my, my experience. And I want to thank all of those who took the time to listen. And I also want to encourage you to listen to other episodes of the heart of giving podcast. They're great episodes with some amazing guests. I know you're going to enjoy listening to them. And if you do, I hope you will subscribe to our show because it helps us build audience. If you want to donate to the Heart of Giving podcast or the BBB Wise Giving Alliance, you can make a donation at G-I-V-E, give.org. Thanks for listening.
0: You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.p.o.d.b.e.a.n.com. ncom Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's terms of service.